everybody to the first episode of the Bold Moves How Did You Know podcast. This is a podcast for the naturally curious who want to define their own path. Here, I'm going to be sharing bold move stories that propelled my guests from curiosity to action. And in doing so, they've defined a path that is purposeful for them. Through these stories, I hope you'll be inspired to pursue your boldest dreams. So today, I couldn't be more excited to introduce you to Tammy Tidbits. She is the co-founder and CEO of She's the First, which is a global girls' rights nonprofit. She's the First teams up with grassroots organizations to make sure girls everywhere are educated, respected, and heard. She's the First annually engages nearly 150,000 girls across 42 countries, through its coalition building and advocacy for girls' rights. Tammy leads a global staff in executing a power-shifting strategy that will impact more than a half a million girls by 2025. She's the co-author of Impact, a step-by-step plan to create the world you want to live in. And if that wasn't enough, she speaks regularly about entrepreneurship and leadership experiences, including three TEDx talks, She's been recognized by the Today Show, the Drew Barrymore Show, Time, Marie Claire, Fast Company, and she's even received DVF People's Voice Award from Diane von Furstenberg. She is truly a legend in the space of girls' rights and education. I am so, so proud to introduce you today to Tammy. Welcome to the show. Oh, I'm so honored to be your first guest. Thank you. Yes, I, I'm so excited to have you as my first guest. In fact, we've known each other from for quite some time as I was doing the math in my head. Um, it's we. I think we met in 2005. Is that right? Yep. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to kind of give our listeners a little bit of a background on that because I think it's a really cool story. Um, so Tammy and I met in uh, Salamanca, Spain, of all places. Um, we were both studying abroad. Uh, right. Well, for me, it was after graduating college. Tammy, were you still in college while you were studying abroad? Yeah, I was either a sophomore or a junior. Yeah. So we we both, I guess, had a love for Spanish and uh, wanted to immerse ourselves in the language and the culture. So we moved to Spain for, I was there for three and a half months. How long were you there? Yeah, same. same. Okay. A whole semester. Yeah. So uh, we met there. And then, of course, obviously, we had to come back. I was a little skeptical or didn't want to come back right away. But I did. I came back to the US. And, uh, and I moved to Atlanta and, you know, some other cities in the South. And then, of course, Tammy, you went back to college, which you went to remind me the College of New Jersey. Yeah, the College of New Jersey. I was majoring in journalism, but I had a minor in Spanish, hence studying abroad in Spain. And the idea of starting a nonprofit or of She's the First, like never even crossed my mind. That would come later in 2009. So I just love that we met in the before times. And then I guess because I shared She's the First on Facebook and social media and we were connected there, that you just immediately became a supporter in the very early days. So it's really special to have gone through so many chapters of our lives and to think back to who we were yeah. back in Spain. We were so I know, young. I think I was 21. That was a long time ago now. <laughs> but yes, agree. And then um, it, it's been, a, you know, obviously once you launch, she's the first. I've been an avid supporter. I love what you're doing, um, your mission, the impact. So 
you know, why don't we dive in there and talk a little bit about your founding story, your mission, what the impact has been, and then where She's the First is today. Yeah, well, I guess because my world and my work centers on teen girls, it makes sense to start with when I was a teen girl and what I was like. I grew up in the New Jersey suburbs and I had, uh, I was, my parents were very supportive and loved me and my sister so much, but they had never gone to college themselves, but they always talked like my sister and I would. So even though I'm a first generation college graduate, I just had the privilege of having parents who really championed that for their daughters, even though they couldn't exactly tell us how to go about the process. Um, so I was, all I knew is I had to be really studious. So I studied a lot in high school and I was exceptionally shy to the point that when I graduated my senior year of high school in the yearbook, back then they would do superlatives. I don't know if this is still a tradition. Uh, it's usually flattering things like most likely to succeed, best smile, most likely to be president, most likely to change the world. Uh, but at my school, there was also most shy. And out of a very large graduating class, I was voted most shy. And I remember that was a moment where I was posing for the photo for the yearbook. And they asked me to like pretend I was hiding behind a wall. And in that moment, I went along with it because I don't, <laughs> I don't want this to be my story. I don't want this to be the way people see me. I don't want um, my voice and potential to go to waste just because I'm afraid of how other people are going to judge me. And I saw going off to college, um, College of New Jersey, as like a fresh start because no one there would know me or that I was voted most shy and I could try to become the woman that I really wanted to be. And um, I, I knew very clearly at that age, I wanted to major in journalism. Uh, I was much more comfortable with my writing. And I, I was editor-in-chief of the high school paper. So it's not like I, you know, I didn't, I think that takes a lot of courage to publish your work, but somehow like speaking up and raising my hand in class um, was much more terrifying. So I went off to college, majored in journalism. And what really motivated me to start raising my hand and speaking up more was um, becoming an, an advocate. At, at first, I was thinking more about um, girls and women around the world who I recognized didn't have the freedom of making their own choices the way that I did. So um, even though I only knew a fraction uh, of what I do today, it was enough to kind of give me a reason to push past my fears and, you know, in your words, to be, to be bold, knowing that I really didn't have much to lose, but for millions of girls around the world who didn't even have the chance to get their education, like there was no fallback for them. And like, what, what could I do with my networks and, um, talents to try to, um, raise awareness of this issue so that people could prioritize girls. Originally I was thinking, you know, in terms of philanthropy and now she's the first as much bigger and broader today in terms of the activism we do. Um, but I was only, uh, I started, she's the first after I graduated from college. Uh, but I was only 23 years old and I, I did start my career in magazines as planned and then came up with this idea on the side, like as a YouTube video back in 2009. And it 
it took a couple years where it kept growing and growing. And then I realized I would have to make a decision of whether I wanted to continue up the ranks of, you know, the masthead on a magazine or give it a shot in trying to grow this organization that had the potential to be a big global nonprofit. I want to ask a few questions based on what you said, because I think there's some really cool insights there um, before we kind of hear a little bit more about what the impact has been with She's the First since you decided to go, you know, feet first into it or head first into it. Um, It sounds like in doing the work of trying to get girls more recognized, more educated, more heard globally, maybe uh, ladders back a little bit to the um, inspiration that your parents gave to you. Uh, of course, you're doing it on a much bigger scale. They gave you that inspiration. They really motivated you. And and somehow that seems to have translated over to your personal passion of how then you could help other people do the same. Would you say that was accurate? Oh, absolutely. I think that's sort of the through line of my story is that she's the first. Our vision is fighting for a world where girls can choose their own futures. And that's That's basically what my parents said to my sister and I is like, you need to go to college to open up these possibilities, but it's up to you, which, what, who you want to be and what career you want to have. And, you know, now the, every year, you know, that um, version of myself in school gets more distant in the past, but I'm reminded, you know, in becoming a mother um, last year, like I chose that I wanted to have a, a child, but also when in my life that would be. And that was um, like, that's a right that I feel like every woman should have. Um, so just like the, the power of choice, whether you are you know about to graduate and go out and choose your career or um, down the line and you choose, you want to change your career. Like, I feel like it's um, in many cases, it's a privilege to be able to do that because look at the world we live in. Like you have to think about health insurance. Like you shouldn't have to worry about these things. And there's not like the social services that oftentimes um, support especially women in making these choices, but it, it is a right that every um, person, but particularly girls and women and those from marginalized backgrounds um, deserve as much as anyone else. Absolutely. And so you started pursuing your passion for this mission. At, at the same time, you were building your career in, in magazines. You were with Seventeen, but um, you were doing this creatively on the side. Could you tell a little bit about how you started building something more on the side um, while you were also working at Seventeen Magazine and, and you know, building a career in, in editorial? Yeah. So I, I started She's the First with my co-founder, Kristen Brandt, and she and I had met um, when we were college-aged. We went to different schools, but through a scholarship program called From New York Women in Communications. And that also left a big imprint on both of us um, and gave us this desire to want to pay it forward. Um, and through that program, we also had access to women in New York who became our mentors. And that's another big theme you see throughout She's the First today, the power of mentors. Now, keep in mind, I was, I did not have a baby crying back then. So my life was pretty much myself. Like I didn't have to take care of anyone. So I, you know, gave my all to my job during the day. And then I, I didn't have, um, you know, I'm even in in college, I was never much of a party goer. So, uh, after work, I really, um, I would just go to like networking events and I would work on this side project with, with Kristen. Uh, And it just started to become all consuming. Then it started to take over my weekends and I would wake up. Uh, My roommate at the time jokes that she like never saw me because I would be awake, uh, you know, 
in my bedroom working from like 6am, go to work at, you know, 930 or so. And then I'd come back from work and I would be, you know, in she's the first mode up until sometimes midnight. I mean, it was in 2010 that I decided to go full-time and she's the first. And leading up to that, I was really like mm-hmm. starting to reach my breaking point um, where it was just not sustainable to, to do both things and have a life. Um, but also I was beginning to like make mistakes at my day job that was very unlike me because I was so distracted. Like even when I was at my desk doing um, the things for 17, my mind was in another place. And I realized like, this isn't fair to the brand and my colleagues at 17. Like I have to choose one and give one my hundred percent rather than spreading myself so thin. Yeah. It sounds like there was just this unwavering call for you to be doing something different than, um, than building a career in magazines. I mean, this, this passion project, not only, uh, you know, took your, your time on the side, but also was something that you thought about all the time while you were also working is so, so the next question really is, how did you get the courage to leave 17? It's a stable job. You've got benefits. It's, you know, you're, you're making a paycheck every two weeks. And then I'm assuming, you know, you're leaving to continue to build. She's the first, but from the ground with probably not that safety net that you were getting at 17. So how did you get that courage to say, yes, I'm going for it? I remember at the time I had a board chair at She's the First who was like, Tammy, do not quit your job until you have some funding through the door to like jumpstart a salary. And Mm -hmm. I decided to trust her wisdom and it took a while, but I ended up getting my first $25,000 grant from um, a husband and wife who's Tom Kearns. He is on our board today. And I will forever be grateful to him and his wife for being the first ones to step up and give significantly. So that was like, that was something to jumpstart having at at least, even though the income wouldn't compare to what I was getting at first in my um, day job in magazines. The reality was I had saved up money over, you know, the first few years of my career. I had a rent stabilized apartment that was relatively inexpensive for New York City. Um, And I knew that if things didn't work out, at least my childhood bedroom was only like an hour and a half away in New Jersey. And I could, you know, worse come to worse, I wouldn't be on the streets, which is again, a privilege. Mm -hmm. Um, But one of the big moments was there was a industry magazine that called Folio that was doing a 13 under 30 issue. And I remember they reached out to me because they wanted to feature me in the, in the 13. And I was social media editor of 17 at the time. And we had some explosive growth on Twitter because like Instagram didn't even, wasn't even on the radar. (laughs) Twitter was a really big deal. And um, so I, I was like, wow, that's amazing. Thank you. And I, you know, did the interview and all that. And then one morning I got a call from the editor and they said, we'd like to put you on the cover of the magazine. And like everyone in, in magazine publishing, like reads this magazine. And I remember telling the editor, I don't think you should do that because I'm about to like leave my job to go 
run She's the First full time. Like you should give it to someone else who's like making a career out of the industry, which is so typical of a woman to do, right? Of like not accept the recognition that someone wants to give to her. Uh, but thankfully, in retrospect, if I was my mentor, mentor to my younger self, I would be like, don't give that up. Like, you earned that. Like, take the cover. Thankfully, the editor was like, well, that makes us want you on the cover even more because we really, well, they didn't reveal I was going to be leaving, but they, they, my commitment, she's the first outside of the job was actually something that uh, they found notable. So uh, I was on the cover and it was right around then that I think I gave my notice um, to the editor that I would be doing She's the First full time. And I, I think that just gave me so much confidence. I was like, what's the worst that can happen? I've got my childhood bedroom on, you know, as a backup. And also I am so hireable. Like I can come back to this industry in a year and there I will get job offers. Like I just had this like highly visible recognition. And that I think was the gave me the peace of mind and like the confidence that I needed to make that bold move. I want to double down on that. That's a really, really important point you just made about knowing you're hireable. I think so many people, when they're thinking about starting their own thing, uh, get wrapped up into their own fears about what it would be to take a leap of faith. And then how do I go back to my job or, or a corporate job? And what, and, and I think, you know, I know a lot of entrepreneurs and if there's anything I know about them, it's that that skill set that makes you want to go for it, do it, you know, do your own ambition is something that makes you hireable, right? And you've already achieved success in your corporate life. Um, so there will be that to fall back on if you need to. Uh, so I think that's a really important point that you just made. When I did start doing She's the First full time, it didn't have like the recognition and the reputation it, it does today. Like Seventeen had a much stronger name. And it's funny, I never really talk about that anymore, Hearst and Seventeen, um, obviously in my day-to-day now, because what I've done since like can uh-huh. speak for itself. But in those early days, I would talk, I would use the um, like the reputation of where I had come from to try to like open doors. So I think that's another thing to keep in mind. Like you can, uh-huh. you can leverage your credibility from past jobs you've had to start building a name for yourself. And then eventually like that name of, of you or the brand you create um, will have as much worth where you, I think it's, you see this a lot on social media too, where, um, especially like journalists today, they attach themselves more to their own platforms versus their media brand because, you know, or whatever company, because we've seen mm-hmm. how you can be like, let go with, without notice. And then what are you left with? So even if you love your job and you're, and you think you're going to stay in corporate forever, it's a good idea to just, well, make sure you're, you're investing in your own brand and telling your own story, um, And that's obviously especially powerful when you do decide that you want to go out on your own. Yeah, that's a really, really good point, Tammy. Thanks for adding that. I always uh, I've I've recently heard somebody uh, say that you should always think of yourself as a gig employee, even if you're on a W-2, because the world and corporate life is is a little different than it was, you know, a decade ago. Right. Um, 
So, so great point on that. All right. So we've talked a lot about the beginnings of She's the First. Um, and I want to move on to where we are today because you have had some incredible accomplishments. I read so many of those in the, the intro. Um, but one of the things, too, that happened um, through your hard work uh, and, and the recognition of your hard work was really being recognized by Michelle Obama and the Obama Foundation. Holy cow. That is huge and such an honor, I'm sure. Um, so what, first, I don't know that you got a chance to really say the impact of, of, and the mission and how you're accomplishing that today. So I would love to give you that opportunity to share a little bit more about the work you're doing in, she's the first, uh, what is it? 13 years into, uh, founding your, your nonprofit. Yeah. So as I mentioned, our vision is a world where every girl can choose her own future. And in order for that to happen, girls need to be educated, respected, and heard. And we have two main pillars that she's the first. Um, on one hand, we work with community-based girl organizations, primarily in the global South, so in Africa, Asia, Latin America, to strengthen the organizations that are located closest to the most vulnerable girls. And we provide them with flexible funding to support um, their access to school, uh, their access to mentorship groups, which is especially vital so that they um, have a support system outside the classroom to talk about uh, everything from what healthy relationships look like to how to manage their money, how to deal with um, conflict or violence that could be happening in their home. It's just having an older woman who has gone through, overcome the same obstacles as her to guide her and her peers along the way. Um, and one of the biggest, well, let me finish and then I'll add on to that. Uh, okay, so strengthening the outcomes of these community-based girl organizations. And then the other half of it is championing girl-led advocacy initiatives. So we we believe very strongly in the Global Girls Bill of Rights, which is something you can view online that um, Girls Worldwide named with us. And we give girls the tools to recognize um, what their rights are and when there is a conflict in their family, in their school, in their community, and those rights aren't being recognized, what they can do to speak up or to create change. This is quite an evolution from where she's the first started when we were just a scholarship organization, basically. We were giving scholarships to girls um, in the global south so that they could be the first in their family to attend and graduate from high school. And that is still largely the population we mm -hmm. serve. Um, but we recognize that it isn't enough just to give a girl a scholarship if you're not looking at all of the factors that would prevent her from finishing that education. It's not just to having tuition money. Um, sexual health and reproductive rights is a big factor of girls um, understanding their bodies and uh, that or, and, or, and programs recognizing that if a girl does become pregnant beyond her, her control, that she is still getting the support to finish that mm -hmm. education. Um, and that, so we, we've, we've changed a lot. And I think today in working with girls in the United States, because we, part of our girl-led advocacy is a global campus chapter network where it's high school and college students have chapters and they hold events on their campus to fundraise, but also to like have conversations, show documentaries, have guest speakers and all of that. 
uh, I think there is the conversation is kind of shifted from when we began, where it was very much, at least in the U.S. with our young supporters, thinking, you know, I'm so privileged. What could I do to give back to girls who are on the other half of the world and weren't born with these opportunities? And that, yes, that still exists, but girls in the U.S. today um, recognize that their own rights are also in jeopardy that, mm-hmm. you know, Roe versus Wade was overturned mm-hmm. and like the climate disasters that are going to persist throughout their lifetime and um, in s- school systems throughout the country that books are being banned mm-hmm. and, you know, they can't talk about intersectional feminism in some or comprehensive sex education. And I think now um, what I'm seeing in this movement is that girls are connecting um, their stories with those of their mm-hmm. other girls around and in other countries and really um, banding together to create a change um, on a local level. And in order for that to work, we also need to make sure that we're working with adults to remove these obstacles that, that girls are facing in the first place. Absolutely. And you've already sparked so much change and had such a big impact. We said 150,000 girls across Um, 42 countries. Incredible. Um, As you think about, you know, the, is it 13 years you've been, been, uh, Mm -hmm. been with, she's the first, been leading, she's the first, I should say. What are some of the pivotal decisions you've made over those years to help she's the first cross some of these magnificent milestones? And also, how do you how did you overcome the uncertainty of not knowing how it would work out before you jumped in? Yeah, that's a good question. And I think um, there there have been like big moments that created a pivot. But and I'll share one of those. But there's also been bold moves can happen in like every day in small ways. They're not always like big, dramatic stories. It might be just sending an email to um someone who should be funding She's the First at a large scale and like having the courage to do that. So I I mix that in as well. But a big moment is when we um, officially decided to move away from that scholarship or sponsor model, I should say. Like uh, when we were in our early 20s, it was just very common like to mimic what we saw in other huge organizations. And this sponsor a child model has existed since before we were born. And it's very... um, donor centric. It's, it's really designed to make um, Western people feel good about supporting those who are from poverty. And it is a very uneven, unequal power dynamic and the power really rests in the donor and they're typically getting a profile of the girl that they support and makes them feel good to see her face and like things she's written. But the girl does not get that information about who her donor is and, um, it's, it's a really messy system. And the more she's the first started having conversations with the community-based organizations that we work with and girls themselves, we realized that this isn't really, this is not aligned with our values of being anti-oppressive and girl-centered. And even though philanthropy has relied on this model to raise thousands and you know millions of dollars to further these important yeah. programs, we are not creating the change we want to see if we're doing it through these broken systems. So we um, moved away from that and we're like, okay, we're going to take a chance here and we're going to educate donors on what 
girls think about this and why it's more important to how to you know trust an organization you support, but then um, allowing them to use funds flexibly to support programs, not just individuals. And sure, I mean, we lost some donors who were just really um, wanted to have their girl, um, but that's okay because that unfortunately, like that's not aligned with our values. But we ended up gaining so many more who respected um, this model of philanthropy that centers the needs and the uh, rights and the in- integrity of who they serve versus what a donor needs to feel good. So I'm really proud of that change that we made. Yeah, I I have this hypothesis um, where I think that those who feel successful and fulfilled in life are courageous and decisive. And I think you just kind of talked to one of those points really eloquently when you said that you, um, you went against a popular opinion. Yeah. You, uh, you had conversations with those, um, organizations, your coalition that needed the help realized from their perspective that that really wasn't the most equitable model. Um, it didn't align at the end of the day with the values that you were trying to uh, lift up in the world. And so you made a pivot, but it had it had a bit of a, it could have, and it did in some instances, as you just said, um, have an impact, a negative impact on the donors that were um, funding She's the First. Um, and you did it anyway. And that was really cor- cor- courageous, excuse me. Um, and it, it sounds like the you were able to make that decision because you felt you knew in your heart and your gut and based on you know the coalition you had built that that was the right move to do for exactly. she's the first and explaining how we arrived at that decision to our community was really important and when you do that i find most people actually do go along with your decision like they have confidence in it and they understand why and this goes with anything, like when you're leading a team as the executive or the leader, like you have to make so many big decisions. And most of the time, if you explain why you are making the decision and you're transparent about it, people will understand. It's like so many decisions in leadership these days like happen behind closed doors and you know that rationale isn't shared with others. And then it makes it much harder for people to learn and grow with you. Yeah, it's another good point, bringing people along on the journey and being transparent in the journey that you all are going on. Awesome. Thanks for sharing that, Tammy. That that seems to me w- to be the, the move that you consider the boldest move in your career. Is that is that true? Um, I think it was the boldest move we did for She's the First from a philanthropy point of view. Um, it's hard to say what the mo- – like, I think – Leaving 17 was probably the boldest. I mean, because there wouldn't there wouldn't be a she's the first the way it is today without doing that, making that leap. Um, but then there are other things like from my personal life where I um, I ended up meeting my husband in New York. Uh, it's a long story, but to cut it short, we had donated office space in New York in 2015, and he worked for the London office of that company. And everyone came together for a big party in New York and I met him and like, we talked all night and like, we we knew something was there. 
but then he had to fly back home to London. And I remember I booked a flight, um, like for the next month to go out and see him, like essentially our second date. And that was not like, like me to do something like that was, um, that was very bold of me. Um, but you know, here I am years later, eight years later, and we're married and have a son. And, you know, if, um, for those of us who do decide to, to get married or to have any partner, you don't have to be married. Like, and if your career is important to you and your dreams, like you do need to have a partner who supports you. And, um, Michael hundred percent does. So, so much of what I'm able to do with she's the first now, um, is because of the support he gives me in my personal life. So that's a very different type of bold move, but it all feeds into the, the outcomes that I'm able to be a part of. It's so important, right? It's our life is not just one bucket. It's career, it's personal, it's, it's everything. So it requires a lot of things to come together um, to, to be able to go on and, and do what you, you, you feel like you're meant to do in this world. Um, so I appreciate you sharing that personal tidbit too, because it's really important. Thinking about, you know, how you've progressed over the years um, yeah. from the shy girl in high school to who you are today, what do you tell yourself that's not public? Like, what are those internal voices that you have to remind yourself of um, to just keep going and keep reminding yourself that you can do this, that this is what you're meant to do. Do you have anything like that, that you, you, you know, internally you're, you're giving yourself that boost of confidence? Yeah. I mean, I have, um, a journaling practice. I try to do that as much as I can, um, because it helps to like put the fears on paper and like also write the mantras or whatever it is. Um, and to remind myself, you know, what I'm doing would be hard for anyone. And, that I just have to show up and do my best and really believe, and I do, that the opportunities that I'm going after for She's the First, like we are 13 years in, we are worthy and deserving of these opportunities. So as terrified as I may be to um, try to break through the doors to get access to this, you know, elite world of catalytic funding uh, and, you know, the, the big things that, I mean, it was always big things relative to the size of what I was leading, but now like what I'm going for is multi-million, multi-year support so I can grow our programs and team. And um, it's really, it's very intimidating. And I just remind myself that she's the first is worthy of this and deserves it. And that reminds me to, that it's, um, to really get past whatever insecurities or doubts I have about myself and summon the strength of all the girls and the practitioners and the colleagues that I represent. All right. One final question. I plan on asking all of my guests and you being the first, this is the, this is that question. <laughs> what are some things you know today about being bold that you wish you would have known earlier on? I would say I wish I would have known that things work out and like the future version of you will know what to do and how to handle it. If that makes sense. Like I think we get stressed over like what if this happens and um feel like we won't be enough to figure it out or know what to do. But I've consistently found when looking back at my track record that I always like 
rose to the occasion. So I think we have to trust that, yeah, you may not know exactly how you, what you're going to do or how it's going to happen, but trust that the future version of you is going to know. Tammy, thank you so much for joining us today on my very first episode of Bold Moves, How Did You Know podcast. If listeners want to know more about She's the First, where can they go to find out more? She's the first.org and on Instagram at She's the First. Awesome. Thank you again. I really appreciate you joining us today. And to everybody else, I hope you love this episode. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. And we will be back soon. friends, it's Kristen Rocco, the host of the Bold Moves How Did You Know podcast, and you just got done hearing the really inspirational episode with Tammy Tibbetts, co-founder and CEO of She's the First. I thought it would be fun for me to come back on after every episode and do like a Kristen's take of the episode to really capture what I thought were some of the key takeaways to help you continue to make bold moves in your career and your life based on these stories from interview guests. Um, And I love it so much that Tammy was my first guest for so many different reasons. Um, And one of those being that we just started a Women's History Month. What this month means to me is that we celebrate the achievements of women throughout history, uh, but we also recognize that there's still work to do and that there's still inequalities in the world when it comes to women and girls around the world. And of course, Tammy's nonprofit, She's the First, um, is one of those amazing nonprofits that really is fighting for change uh, by be, by helping girls be respected, heard, and seen through its coalition building and advocacy of girls' rights. Uh, so this is a really important episode for me, and I hope you loved it as much as I did. Um, some of the top uh, highlights for me as I listen back to this episode um, that I think can really you you can really use as tidbits and pieces of information to help better define or further define your story. And the first one is uh, the question about what motivates you to act and let that be the reason to push beyond your fear. Tammy described in the episode that her passion for advocating for uh, girls to be able to choose their own future was a huge reason for her to push beyond her fear and be bold. And so I would I would ask you to think about that. What is it for you that motivates you to act, to want to do something? And let that be your inspiration to keep moving forward. The second thing that I think is really important about what Tammy said was around taking the opportunities you've earned. You deserve to be recognized for your hard work. Tammy uh, was recognized with the front page cover of Folio magazine, sort of in that transition period where she really was thinking about leaving 17. Um, And she even told the editor that maybe she didn't need to be on the cover because she was making this transition. 
But then in retrospect, she said that, no, I earned that recognition. I should be on the cover. And and fortunately, the editors of that magazine uh, believed that her story was was the spotlight, despite her uh, kind of, you know, saying to the contrary that maybe she shouldn't be on the cover because she was going to be leaving soon. So I think the lesson in that is we should all take the opportunities that we've earned because you deserve it. Third, she talked about investing in your personal brand and telling your story. This is something that Tammy has done amazingly well over the time that I've you know, been watching She's the First, which is really ever since it was founded all those years ago. Um, she's been super transparent about what her mission is, why she started She's the First, and the impact that she's looking to to make. And through that, she has built this amazing following who are also really inspired by her mission and ultimately, because of that, want to follow her and invest in She's the First um, to be able to uh, make the impact that it's making on girls around the world. And the lesson there for you is whatever it is, whatever inspires you, uh, to really start talking about that and honing in on the why. Why is it so important for you or to you? And you will start to cultivate your own community of followers who also believe in what you believe in, um, which will help you create the impact that you're, you're so deserving of. Fourth, uh, she talked about um, how she made pivotal decisions in She's the First. That was really interesting when she talked about um, where She's the First started um, based on a scholarship model and now where it is today, where she's really focused on building programs um, to support and impact girls. And that wasn't an easy decision. Um, and you heard her talk about how she even lost some donors as a result of her decision. The lesson is that you should change directions and go in the direction of what your gut is telling you when your current direction no longer aligns with your values. And so I think we can all think about a circumstance in which we continue to move forward on a path that we didn't feel connected to anymore. And I think what's what's great about what Tammy said is that the stakes were pretty high for her when she decided uh, to pivot away from that sponsorship model of girls to this new model. But she checked in with her gut. She knew it was the right move. It aligned with the values of she's the first and the girls and the organizations that she's the first supported. So ultimately... She made that pivot and now has been successful in something that more aligns with the impact that she wants to make on the world. Finally, uh, I think one of the biggest takeaways that she said um, from the perspective of making a bold move is to trust the future you. And when I heard her say that, I was like, okay, what does that mean? And as she went on to describe what it meant, uh, then I really thought, wow, this is such an amazing insight that can help so many people. It's that the, fr the future version of you will know exactly what to do when you get there. So if you make the decision today about something uh, and you think that it's the right decision to make, 
So you go down that path, even if you're unsure of the obstacles that might stand in your way and how to overcome them or confront them. Her point is that when you get to those, the future you will know how to deal with it. You will know what to do. So in essence, it's trust in yourself and keep moving forward. All right, friends, that recaps this uh, episode. I hope you got a lot out of it. And I'm celebrating you and your future bold moves. I will see you in the next episode. 